Welcome to St. Martin in the Fields and welcome to Great Sacred Music. Everybody loves George Herbert. The most important thing for you to know about George Herbert is that when he was 17 years old, he used to worship at St. Martin in the Fields. He used to live just across the road uh, in that direction. Uh, in fact, just round the corner. Uh, but of course, it wasn't this church. It was the previous church. There have been three St. Martin in the Fields, one in the Middle Ages that was replaced in the early 16th century, and then one uh, uh, that one was knocked down in order to make this one, which was consecrated in 1726. So, of course, in all of our lives, the most important thing is our connection with St. Martin in the Fields, and that is what George Herbert is principally famous for, having worshipped here a few times. He was, in other news, born in Wales in 1593 into the aristocratic Pembroke family, became public orator at Cambridge University and then a member of Parliament. So everybody expected him to have a life at court, maybe even be a senior minister to the Crown one day. Of course, that didn't happen. He gave it all up to be a vicar. He spent time with his friend uh, Nicholas Ferrer at Little Gidding, he was given care of souls of the parish of Bemerton near Salisbury, and there he spent the rest of his short life. He is still probably the most nostalgically remembered parish clergyman in the history of the Church of England, even though he was only in Bemerton for four or five years. He wrote prolifically, his hymns still being popular throughout the English-speaking world, and his treatise, The Country Parson, on the priestly life and his poetry, especially the temple, have earned him the leading place he holds in English literature. He died in 1633, just about, we're just about five days off from the anniversary of his death. Uh, I guess his, his poetry is, is so magnificently simple. So uh, he is the definition of elegant simplicity. You find he hardly ever uses uh, more than a two-syllable word. Uh, he never uses technical jargon about theology or uh, his observation of nature or anything else. And, and yet the subtlety of his rhyme schemes, the way the word he uses as the first word in the poem comes back as the last word in the poem, it's just incredibly satisfying to read and even more satisfying to sing. So it's our tradition at Great Sacred Music that we begin by singing together uh, and so if you'll find your leaflets, you'll find inside uh, on the second page, you'll find, if you're in the building, uh, the words to King of Glory, King of Peace. Uh, so the voices will stand and lead us. We remain seated and join in the sing together, King of Glory. <laughs>
we're now going to hear settings of two of uh, Herbert's beloved poems. The first one, Evensong, in which Herbert asks himself what he has brought home at the end of the day in response to God's love. He describes himself as having run, but only to no obvious purpose other than to be like wind or a bubble or foam. But God says, it is enough. He asks, which shows more love? God greeting us in the new day or taking us as we are at the end of it. Then he recognizes that the whole day is filled with God's love and with that he falls asleep in his bed. And then we're going to hear a setting um, by Grace Knives of some verses from Herbert's poem, Whitsunday, in which he laments the comparison between the apostles' fervor and contemporary people's malaise. We find even in the 17th century, people were lamenting that the Christian faith has gone to the dogs and people don't take it seriously anymore. He maintains that the Holy Spirit should grant Christians a second Pentecost because the Holy Spirit does not prove to be the comforter he wanted Jesus to send. So two contemporary settings, Bob Chilcott and Grace Knives, of two of Herbert's most beloved poems.
of all uh, Herbert's poems, one of the ones that's brought about most theological reflection is the one we're about to hear in a setting by Judith Weir, Love Bade Me Welcome. It's a sonnet and the scene is a banquet to which the poet is invited, but the poet holds back, afraid of going in. Love continues to invite, asking the poet's reason for withdrawing. The poet says he's not worthy. Love insists the poet is worthy. <coughs> the poet continues to doubt. Love takes the poet's hand and reels off terms of endearment. The poet continues to draw back. Love continues to turn the tables on the poet. The poet, like the prodigal son, says, I will come and serve. But love says, no, I will serve you. And the poet finally gives in. So I said a few things at the beginning about the cleverness and the subtlety and uh, elegant simplicity of Herbert's poetry. And just to illustrate this, I think we can, we can see so many different layers in this sonnet. So, for example, uh, what we've got is, is clearly an account of conversion, but it's also an account, you can read it as an account of the whole of the Old Testament of, of Israel's tussle with God about whether it really trusted God to be its protector. But you can also see a liturgical shape in the poem where it starts with an announce, a proclamation, it then moves into a form of confession, it then moves into an announcement of the glory of God, uh, and then there's a bit of intercession, uh, and then finally ends with the phrase, thus so I did sit and eat, which is clearly a, clearly a nudge towards the Eucharist. So you can see, uh, and, and then there's plenty of elements. I mentioned the prodigal son. There are lots of little half lines that remind you of scripture verses it, it, that, that significantly point to the relationship between God and humanity as a whole, or God and the individual believer. So that's just a, a sense of the enormous number of things going on in just 14 lines of poetry, which will be even better now as it's set to Judith Weir's music.
history is the tradition of alchemy, tracing back to classical antiquity and up until around the 18th century arise a cluster of codes, techniques, and mysteries promising to turn base metals into gold and create a philosopher's stone that can bring about rejuvenation and usher in immortality. J.K. Rowling tapped into this tradition when she titled the first of her Harry Potter books. George Herbert recasts this idea in his poem, The Elixir. He says, all our endeavors are transformed when we say three simple words, for thy sake. If we realize everything we do is an act of worship to God, it's like, not, it's, it's like looking not just at a window, but through a window to the heavens beyond. It's an overnight change from physics to metaphysics. We're going to sing together again now the words of Herbert's poem, and if you like, you may want to turn it into a prayer to turn your own life into worship. We sing together as we remain seated and the voices stand and lead us, teach, teach, teach me my God and King. coming towards the end of great sacred music for this week if you've enjoyed yourself i hope you have there's a really myriad uh, galaxy of opportunities to make a donation on the door as you leave you can you can find our website on your handheld device you can flash your card across a machine that will take your money away from you in doses that you choose you can text, you can, you can even leave a thing we used to call cash. 
which is this wonderful thing you put in your pocket and you get out and you put and then it transfers money. It's, you should try it sometime. It's a new thing we used to use a couple of years ago. Uh, there is, uh, a, on your sheets, there is a, a, a list of the choral classics on Sundays and the Great Sacred Music events are on Thursdays coming up. Do join us for as many of those as you can in the building or online. You can't escape us now because we're online. So you, there's never a place you can go where Great Sacred Music won't follow you. Uh, and if you've enjoyed the voices, they'll be back tonight at 7.30 for a concert. It is 7.30. 7.30 for a concert, Luminous Night. So much to enjoy. Do pick up a ticket at the box office for those of you in the building or online if you can navigate the tube or get here some other how. You're very much welcome to, to come for that. So we're going to finish with... The thing about George, George Herbert's poems is you think, well, this is really the big one, isn't it? And then you think, no, no, actually, that's the really big one, isn't it? No, no, actually, that one's really the important one. So let all the world in every corner sing. Uh, it's a good one to finish with. Uh, and what it explores is where is the best place to worship God? Where, does, where is God most fully worshipped? And actually, it's a survey of four places where God might most appropriately be worshipped, starting with heaven, moving to earth, uh, then, quite understandably, thinking about the church, and ending up where? With our own human hearts. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>